Of course, we have already shared already that the month of March, we're going to be speaking and preaching on the topic of world evangelism. Everybody ought to be interested in getting the gospel to everywhere in the world. Only 5% of the population of the world lives in America where you and I do. Now, America seems huge, 330-some-odd million people. But there are 7.456 billion people in the world. And you and I only represent 5% of the world's population. But God loves everybody in the world. People that don't eat the food that we eat, don't understand the culture that we understand, don't, don't uh, speak the language that we speak, but God loves them. And God wants the whole world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if 95% of the world's population lives somewhere else, there's a 95% that every one of us, chance that every one of us who are Christians, ought to do something about the 95% who don't know about Jesus. You ought to be concerned about it. Say, Pastor, I, I, I've got busy. I've got my own thing. I live in Crown Point. I live in Chicago. I live in Lansing. I live over here in Calumet City. I live in Munster. I've got my own life to deal with. But you know what? God wants every Christian to be a missionary. Every Christian ought to have a mission's heart, ought to have a, an emphasis on reaching the world with the gospel. You ought to ask yourself, what does God want me to do about the destination of those who are without Jesus? You ought to make it a prayer of your prayer, and my prayer ought to be, Lord, use my little life to have a global impact for the sake of the gospel this next year. Help me do something that I can see the world hear about Jesus. And if you can't do it in person, you better do it in proxy. If you can't go, you should send a substitute. You should do something every week for the cause of world evangelism God is a global God, and he wants you to be global. Every Christian ought to have a local vision and a global vision at the same time. And I am so thankful for this church. But I want to challenge you today. We look into the story of Jonah. Jonah is just four chapters. He's one of the early prophets. He prophesied during the times of Jeroboam II and the nation of Israel's history. And he really wasn't a great example. The guy was the flower of his family. He was a blooming idiot. He had all kinds of problems. He thought he could run from the presence of the Lord. You know, it just it drives me crazy how people will talk about, well, I was running from God, I was running from God. What an idiot. Don't run from God. Run to him. Anybody who would run from God doesn't understand him. He loves you. We ought to run to him so quickly. When you're in sin, run to God. Don't run away from him. Whenever he's calling you, don't run away from him. When he's, he's challenged you to do something eternally, don't run away. Don't say no. Now, when it comes to world evangelism, you can either go, you can sow, or you can say no. You have the choice, and some of us are in that latter category. We have absolutely done nothing for world evangelism, and you need to stop it. Years ago, a guy named Sam Jones was preaching. And he came to a town, he preached against sin on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. On Thursday night, people began to massage their heart and get rid of some sins. And boy, he said, let's give a testimony time. What are some things you're getting rid of that you're going to quit for the cause of Christ? And one boy said, I'm, I've been disobeying my mom and dad, dishonoring them, and I'm going to quit. And boy, people clapped. One fellow said, you know, I've been drinking alcohol, and I'm going to quit. And everyone clapped. 
One person said, I've been a gossip. I've been saying bad things about people. You know I've, I've, I've got a loose lip, and I'm always criticizing, but I'm going to quit. And boy, people clap. Everybody began giving their testimonies about things they were doing. They're going to quit. And about 15 minutes into the first testimony time, a little 80-year-old lady stood up in the front, and she said, I ain't been doing nothing, and I'm going to quit. <laughs> if you're not doing nothing for the Lord, quit. And decide, you know what, I am not going to go another year, another month, another week without doing something for the cause of Christ. The story of Jonah is not a fairy tale. Jesus confirmed the story in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 40. He confirmed that this was a real story. He said, do you believe that Jonah was really swallowed by a great fish or a, mon uh, a sea monster or a, or a whale? Absolutely. Do you believe he lived the whole three days? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I do know that he lived after those three days. And it was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in some extent. Jonah, we don't know much about him, but he had a, he had a dad named Amittiah. And Jonah was a, a prophet for God. And God told him, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city for the Assyrians. They were cruel. People would rather commit suicide than to fall into their hands. They were very wicked, and they were known for their wickedness. And about a hundred years later, after Jonah, the children of Israel will fall into their hands and be captive by the Assyrian people, and the capital of their Syria would be Nineveh. So Jonah, he probably has the inside scoop on his future and the people of his future, and he doesn't have any interest. He's prejudiced. He does not want them to get saved. But the Lord gave him, he says, Arise and go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message of judgment against them. Tell them that their wickedness has come up before me. I see how wicked they are, and it's either turn or burn. <laughs> it's either get right, or I'm coming with judgment. Well, Jonah knew exactly what his command was, and he went the other direction. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he went west, young man. <laughs> and he found his way, and he went down to the harbor. He purchased a ticket going down to Tarshish. And he was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And he bought the fare, and he went down to the harbor. He went down into the ship, and he found himself sleeping off, trying to, to numb the difficulties that he, the, the, the inner turmoil that he had. Here he was, God's man, going the wrong direction and sleeping it off. Oftentimes we get callous to the need that God has given us to do. We say, you know, I'm just too old for that, or I'm this, or I'm that. I don't have to go, so I don't know what it is to knock on the door. I'm not carrying gospel tracts. Someone might just, you, you, we have excuses why we should not be involved in that, and we just kind of callous ourselves to that. Well, Jonah did too. He went down to the ship, and God sent a judgment in the form of a storm. And the storm began to come, and these mariners were scared to death. They began having prayer meetings to their pagan gods. And then they said, do we have everybody on the ship? Because there's some clown down there sleeping. And the shipmaster, the captain of the ship, came down and said to him, wake up, don't you know we're going to die? Get up and start praying to your God. 
And it just got worse and worse in the storm. The judgment was coming upon them, and, and they cast lots or rolled dice, or they kind of picked straws and said, who in the world has upset their God that this would happen? This is not normal. This is, this is divine judgment. And whenever they drew straws or rolled the dice or cast the lots, it was obvious that Jonah was the recipient and the cause for the storm. Even to these unsaved pagan men, rough sailors. And they said, well, who are you and where are you from and what's your country and what in the world are you doing? He said, you know, it's, it's me. He said, uh, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the God of creation. Isn't this wonderful? He said, I'm, I've served the God who made the land and the sea and the, everything else. By the way, it's no wonder why creation is under such attack. And evolution, to me, is almost like a fairy tale with millions of years as a magic wand. And yet many intelligent people choose to believe that. Even though it doesn't seem, but God said that he made everything. And when he said, who do you serve? He goes, I serve the one who created everything. And then they got nervous. They had already thrown away their wares and, and lightened their ship. And now they said, you know... He said, what you got to do is you got to throw me into the sea, and, the, and you'll be okay. You'll escape judgment. But even these hardened criminals were nervous. These hardened, hard, not necessarily criminals, hardened sailors were nervous about doing that. They weren't interested in throwing him over. The Bible tells us that they began to row even harder. Let's, let's work harder to avoid this terrible, terrible judgment and get out of this storm. That didn't work. And finally, in desperation, they throw Jonah overboard, and Jonah goes into the sea, and the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And he spent three days and three nights in the most unusual prayer meeting. He was in not a jailhouse, but a whale house. He was sleeping on a blubbered mattress. He found himself in a heap of trouble. Three days with seaweed around his head, his no doubt his skin. In 1891, they found a man who lasted 48 hours in the, in the whale, in a sperm whale's belly. And 48 hours later, they, they, they harpooned the whale. They took him. They had no idea the man. They, they knew that one guy had drowned, but they couldn't find the other guy. And they found him. I think his name was John Cartney. And he found, they found him. When they opened up the well, they found him in there, unconscious. And it took him several, several days to come back to some normality. His skin was all uh, acidic, uh, acidically affected. All of his hair was gone. But for 48 hours, he was still alive in the belly of a, of a whale. And God had allowed Jonah now to be swallowed by this whale. And then chapter 3, look at it if you would please, Jonah chapter 3. You'll see that in Jonah 2, he prayed in chapter 3, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So God, after he causes a bellyache for the whale, he spits him out, and then God says, Let's try this again. Arise and go to Nineveh the second time. And Nineveh, the three days journey, and he kept on going. And he went through to Nineveh, and he began to preach the message God wanted. He didn't have the best attitude in the world. I'm sure he was a sight to behold. 
probably no hair on his head. He probably looked like he was pale as a ghost. Probably weakened by lots of things and been traveling for maybe three days to get there. Or it maybe took him three days to go through the city. But he began telling him what God told him. He says, you, your wickedness has come up before God and he's going to judge you. He's going to judge you. And then we find that the people responded in a very unusual way. They changed. They believed God, verse 5 tells us. Verse 8, they cried unto the Lord. They believed in their heart in God, and they cried unto the Lord. They asked the Lord to have mercy on them, and they turned, they changed their ways. They went from their evil ways, and, and they began to believe God, and God also miraculously changed his mind. He said, look, if you'll do this, I don't want to. God does not delight in the judgment of the wicked. He delights in mercy. He's ready to pardon. And he, he said, if you will, you believed in me, you cried out to me, you, you, uh, you changed and you put humility where there was pride, you put repentance where there was sin. He goes, well, good, I don't want to do that. And you would think, and now when I preach, I like to have results like that. When Jonah preached, he wasn't happy. He was fired up. He was fired up at God particularly, and he was fired up that the people had changed. He wanted to see them destroyed. That's why he took off the first time. And he finds himself on the hill outside the city, sitting down and looking over the city and wondering what God's going to do with them. And he's sitting there, and, and uh, he is getting, it's just waiting for things to happen, and he's upset. He goes, Lord, I knew that you were going to do this. I knew I would go preach, and you would change your mind, and you would be merciful to these people who are so, they're going to enslave your people later on, and you're going to be merciful to them. I know how you are. That is your character. You're a merciful God. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm not going to, because I know that's going to happen. He said, look, what's, what's the problem? You should be happy. Well, he said, well, I'm not. And he sits there, and the Lord gives him an illustration. He's sitting, I don't know if it's on a, on a stump or a lawn chair, but he's sitting there on the hill watching into the Nineveh, and he sees God's mercy and his kindness to him, and, and it's hot. And God caused a gourd or a vine to grow up behind him and shade his little bald, pale head. If you're bald-headed, forgive me. I didn't mean to be a... My hair is so thick, Moses couldn't part it. Maybe you should share some of yours. But he put that, he put that, he put a gourd to come up, and boy, Jonah said, hot dog, finally a lucky break for me. This is great, I'm in the shade. And then the next morning, in the morning, he caused God prepared a worm. You can see that God's preparing things here. He prepared a big fish, not for his destruction, but for his preservation. He prepared a gourd, and it covered his head, and gave him shade on the bad uh, sunshine that was, that was in the Middle East. And then he caused a worm to eat the gourd, and the gourd fell over. And then, it just added insult to injury, Jonah got even more angry. And God says, why are you so angry? You didn't make the gourd. It's my gourd. I made it for you. I helped you. And boy, an east wind came and it burned on his head and he fainted and said, Lord, just kill me. Just kill me. 
It'd be better for me to die than to live. And he said, look, you're all concerned about your little comfort. You're concerned about a gourd, and you want to fight with me over a gourd and a worm and your comfort. When there's 160,000 little boys and girls in that city who can't tell their right hand from their left, they do not know. They, they, don't, even know that they don't even know their right hand from their left. And you're concerned about a gourd and your little comfort zone. I want to talk to you just for a few moments, and I've got to just do this quickly, but I want to give you four thoughts about missions from the book of Jonah. Number one, I want to give you the command of missions. The command is we're supposed to do something about the heathen. We're supposed to do something. Arise and go. What does it say, arise and? Listen, friend, you can't spell the gospel without go. Every Christian ought to be a going Christian. Around the corner, around the world, everybody ought to have a responsibility to get the gospel to somebody. And it's more than just your checkbook, friend. I think your checkbook ought to be involved with that. We wrote a check this morning. But everybody ought to do something so people hear about Jesus. The command that God gave the missionary is that we ought to do something. Every Christian, every church ought to be a local Christian getting the gospel to your friends, your neighbor. You ought to be burdened for your neighbors. I drove around my, my uh, cul-de-sac this morning there in Glendale Park and began to pray for each of my neighbors by name. I began to ask the Lord, God, please save them. And thank you for saving these two neighbors already. You've, you've brought them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, please save this neighbor and this neighbor. And I call their names out to the Lord. Why? Because that's where I live. Where do you live? What are your neighbor's names? Who are you praying for? Where do you go to work? You ought to be praying for someone. The Bible tells us, arise and go. Every, every Christian ought to be a missionary Christian. The command is to go. Now, he was, he was in Israel. God wanted him to go to Nineveh, a place that they weren't like him. They didn't think like him. They didn't eat like him. They didn't have the same language that he had. He was not interested in going there. But God told him to rise and go. You know, but the last words of Jesus was to go ye into all the world. And his last command should be our first priority. So, Pastor, that's your first priority. You're a pastor. No, that is your priority as well, Spanky. Everybody ought to be involved in doing something to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Moms and dads, we ought to want our children to be called to the ministry. Young couples, you should not fight against the call of God upon you. Young lady, don't keep your husband from doing what God wants him to do. Husband, you don't stifle the work that God may be doing in your family. Grandparents, kids, moms and dads, don't say, well, I don't want my kids to go to another world. You ought to want God to use your children. You ought to want God to use you. Some of us were so excited about retiring. Instead of retiring, we need to return. We need to find something God wants us to do someplace. There are things bigger in the world than, than Disneyland. I'm not against going to Disneyland. I'm not against going to places or Wisconsin Dales or going places. I'll do that. I'll take the kids to go. But you know, every once in a while, we might want to take a trip to the mission field. I'm asking Brother Bushy to have five mission trips this year from missions conference to next missions conference that we can go on. Somebody ought to go someplace. My eye affects my heart. You ought to think about it. instead of going someplace and just goofing off, we might have to go someplace and be an encouragement to somebody. 
Be a part of a soul winning program. Be a part of putting something together someplace where somebody around the world. Arise and go. That's the command. I want to give you another thought, though. What are we supposed to communicate? The Bible, from beginning of Genesis to Revelation, is about the gospel. Judgment is imminent. There is a judgment coming to this planet. It's not getting better and better. God is going to bring judgment, the like of which this world has never seen. And then beyond that, there is a lake of fire prepared for people who are unprepared to believe and receive Jesus. And there is a heaven. A hundred years from this very moment, all that's going to matter for every one of us is where you live. With God or without Him. You're either saved or you're lost. And all that's going to matter for you won't matter where you worked. It won't matter how much money you had in your bank account, how much is in your 401k. It won't matter what car you drove. It won't matter what your address was. It's going to matter where you live. And then if you are saved, it's going to matter how you live. For all eternity. You're going to love heaven. But some people are going to love it more. Because Jesus said, I come quickly and my reward is with me. If you think for a moment that heaven's the same for everybody, that the millennium's the same for everyone, you're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. It's faith in Jesus Christ that determines your eternal destiny, but it is service, sacrifice, it is giving that determines your eternal rewards. I think oftentimes some of the wealthiest people and the people who have more going for them in second generation, your mama got saved, your daddy got saved, you didn't have to be pulled out of the world. You got raised in a godly church, in a godly home, and things of that nature, and then you go off and live like an idiot. To whom much is given, much is required. Haley, I say to you just for a second, friend, there is a judgment coming. There is, you know what the storm was? It was judgment. The storm was judgment. Let me tell you just a couple things that the sailors try to do to avoid the judgment. First of all, they try to get rid of some things on their ship. Some people think they can go to heaven by getting rid of some stuff. If I can just quit drinking, if I can just quit the drugs, if I can quit the porn, if I can just quit the gambling, if I can just stop cussing, if I can just get rid of my anger, if I can just, I'm going to just shed some things off the ship of my life. But you know, that don't, doesn't, doesn't help you avoid judgment. Other people say, you know what, you know, whenever you find out what to do, let's just try harder. Let's just roll harder. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to be a better person. I don't care how good you are. You're not good enough to go to heaven on your own. Oh, no. This story is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It took one to pay for the sins of all. It took one, Jonah is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man, Jesus, be. And then he would rise again. The only way we can get to heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the message. The world needs to know that. What are our missionaries doing? They're just telling that message. What should I be doing? I should be telling that message. Why would I keep a gospel track with me so that the message could go out? Why should I, I get on the radio and do radio broadcasts so the message will go out? God has a plan, and God wants the message to go out. He wants missionaries to be supported. He wants you to be a missionary. He wants you to do something around the world. Why? Because the gospel and missions has a mandate, 
and a command to go. Number two is to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of our friends around the world are trying to go to heaven by rowing a little harder. They're trying to avoid God's judgment by climbing up steps and worshiping one of the Hindu gods. They're, they're going to masses and, 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 and trying to appease the saints and appease this and pay penance, do confession, learn the catechisms. They're trying to go house to house to encourage people and tell them there's no heaven, there's no hell, just so that they can have a better place in whatever eternity that the New Living Translation tells us about. People all over the world are trying to find eternal life by doing stuff, rowing a little harder, being at the mosque more faithfully, going here and doing that. But the only way to heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ. Missions has a mandate and a command, and I have to take it personally to go and to get the gospel around the corner, around the world. Every Christian ought to be a sermon in shoes. Number two, it needs to be communicating the gospel. I thank God for hospitals, but quite frankly, sending a missionary somewhere to make hospitals as their primary responsibility is not missions. You can save a person's life for a few years and let them go to hell without Jesus. What they need is the gospel of Jesus. We need soul winners. We need soul winning missionaries. We need soul winning teenagers, soul winning adults, soul winning pastors that will tell the gospel of Christ and then give so others can go to communicate that you can't row hard enough to go to heaven and to avoid judgment. You can't get rid of enough bad things to avoid judgment. You need a sacrifice of one, not Jonah, but Jesus.